This is Nyamshana's podcast. I am Nyamshana Prudence. We are in lockdown in Uganda. The year is 2021. It is the third wave of the COVID-19 pandemic. There is grief and uncertainty everywhere. Social media has become a notice board for death announcements. Ambulance sirens are more frequent than usual. How do we fortify our minds from all the anxiety of an invisible pestilence lurking in the air? How can we radically take care of ourselves in the time of grief and uncertainty? As Audrey Lord wrote, How do I hold faith with sun in a sunless place? In this conversation with Vivian Kabarunj and Maureen Nagasha, we grapple with how to radically take care of ourselves. This recording was made on Zoom. Some parts will not be as clear as we would have loved them to be. Hello! Maureen, hello, Kaba. How are you doing? Hi, Hey, Nyamishana, how are you? I'm doing fine. You guys, how are you surviving this lockdown and this um, crazy time that we are in? I guess taking it day by day. Mm -hmm. Take what comes (laughs) and try not to fret about tomorrow or the the doomed future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what's working right now. So, are you home? What are you up to? Uh, well, uh, me as me, I'm home, but I'm also working. So, I've been working from home for the greater part of the year since the first lockdown. Um, so, yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm working in my home. I'm living in my home. Mm-hmm. And like um, Kabarunji said, one day at a time, though at this point it has become more of one hour stroke, one minute. Right. Because some of these days look like they're not ending. Eh? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty much it for me. So my audience probably would like to know who I am talking to. Um, okay. Nagasha. By profession, I currently work in a bank. I firstborn daughter, because that needs to be said. Hi to all the firstborn daughters listening. Mostly, I'm an, and I'm a feminist, so that's that's it in summary. We would have to dig deep into each of those labels to get to know more about me, but that's it in a nutshell. Thank you, Maureen. Uh, Vivian? Uh, so, my name is Vivian Kabarunji. I work with the Women's Political Leadership Program at Akina Mama Africa. I am a feminist. I am a writer. I am also a communications professional, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Thank you guys for taking off time. We are also um, really, tr- the internet has been poor in my area. I don't know about yours, so we are just uh, daring, you know, to do, <laughs> to do something that is hard, even amid these times. So, guys. Yeah. Um, how are you taking care of yourself? Um, okay. Kava, uh, would you like to go first? Uh, I think one thing that has helped is rituals and routine. Mm-hmm. I think structuring my life in such a way that I don't feel the lockdown helps me to not give in to the despair of it, the whole monotony of day after day after day. So like waking up in the morning, showering, having breakfast, having three meals a day, um, so closing my laptop at about six, structuring my day in such a way that I feel like 
I've done something so that the night can go can go on because if not, then it's just a loose a loose layer of events that just keeps going on and on and on and there's no end and it also impacts your sleep. So I think routine and rituals have really helped me. Uh, could you tell us some of the rituals uh, <laughs> that the listeners can, can learn from you? Well, um, rituals are, of course, now self-care has to be personal to you because it's, it, it, you find what you need and then you do it. That's special that because it's something that's sort of handed down to us from parents or guardians. But when you take it into your own hands, that means it's something that you have to attend to as you would a plant. So you can't just neglect it. So paying attention to that and knowing that it's it's good for me is uh, is a ritual that i've had to invest in and of course as a person who is not a machine i can't program myself to do it every day at the same time every single throughout the year but it's it helps to remind myself every single morning to pray and then to of course drink water because <laughs> that sounds easy but taking that prescribed amount of water for your body is not as easy as it sounds every day right drinking water um waking up at the same time every day going to bed at the same time every day um unplugging sometimes putting your phone away uh actually having breaks for lunch for for breakfast for for tea um, I think the the rituals are for me are just the small everyday things that generally contribute to my health. Because if I don't do one of those things, it's it's a domino effect on all the others. If I don't sleep early, I wake up late, and then the whole day is down the drain. So yeah, pretty much. Maureen, uh, okay, I like what Kaba said about rituals because um, to answer your question, how am I taking care of myself during the lockdown? I think the word I would use to summarize my uh, self-care process slash processes is uh, I'm being very, very intentional about my physical health, my mental health, um, my spiritual health, and of course, my financial health, because with this pandemic and the lockdown and what's happening to the economy, you sort of need to look after your finances more more vigilantly than we would have prob- probably in the last two years. So, um, like I said, I'm working from home. I'm lucky that I work with a really, really great team at um, my place of work. So, me working from home has been smooth. Um, I really, I do not in any way feel like there is a disconnect when I'm, in, when I'm at my home or if I'm working from the office. Um, but then um, the others mentally, spiritually. So one thing I decided to do intentionally was to remove all pressure of achievement from me during this lockdown. And by that, I mean using these uh, days, the lockdown, the uncertainty as things of, okay, I don't know, count down to a certain body goal or to a certain, to a certain healing, I don't know, healing endpoint. The thing is, we do not know. We are living in the moment. So one minute you're here, you're thinking I've gotten vaccinated both my shots and the next minute a news item breaks and says, guess what? Delta is here and it's mutating faster. So with all that uncertainty, I have decided that I am not putting pressure on myself. So to quote my favorite icon, Beyonce, can I live is really my motto. I'm just trying to stay alive and to stay healthy 
But then, um, if I might add on pro, I think that even in um, relieving that pressure, taking away the burden of trying to achieve so many things, you know, the worker who is meeting their targets, the family uh, member who is being there for their family, the friend who is supporting their friend, when you, when you take those pressures away, you still have the responsibility of looking after yourself the best way you can because you're really your greatest asset. So, like Kaba said, I unplug. I there are days I mean I will log out of Twitter for about six hours in a day now because there's a lot of sensory overload. And then I um I try not to drown my anger and grief in TV, in TV shows or on YouTube. I basically try and film my things. So um that's how I'm taking care of myself. I'm trying to listen to affirmations when I can because there are some mornings wake up and it's anxiety. Everyone's WhatsApp status has a rest in peace or gone too soon. So I have saved some videos from YouTube that I'll play in my room as I'm getting ready early morning to sort of soothe me, calm me down and get me ready for like Kaba said, what, for what are really, really very uncertain days. And really, really, again, maintaining routine is important. Sleeping at the same time, waking up at the same time, hydrating, eating your two or three meals a day, whatever it is that floats your boat, um, sleeping at like um, um, having a proper sleep schedule. So in summary, that's that's how I'm trying to take care of myself. Wow, guys. Uh, it can be challenging to take care of yourself sometimes, I think. Um, and, and I think that is why radical self-care is called for. Um, because I realized during this lockdown, when I self-neglect and drown myself in social media and TV and, and all these things, then I find that my sleep is disturbed and I can even hardly do anything else the following day. So how I'm taking care of myself is um, is a combination of of all is is like try and I'm trying everything that works, uh, but mostly to rest, to give myself grace, indeed to know that this is not a time to achieve. Um, uh, to say ah, out of this lockdown, I should have lost maybe a few kilos, or um, I should have you know done all this stuff. And I, I really, I really like what what you what you said about financial care. How do we take care of our finances during this time? And how do we? Because then, once the stress of finances piles to the stress of COVID, then life life becomes very difficult. Uh, so out there, there are people who are grieving. I mean. WhatsApp, yeah. Yeah. WhatsApp groups. Uh, um, I have unplugged from Twitter. I have installed my yeah. app. I used to to to. to you to, actually have to. Yeah, because this morning, after like like maybe two days of not being on Twitter, I I I went on Twitter and then I saw a story from the Observer about how vaccinated nations are back to lockdown. Um, and I'm, yes, they are. Yeah, and I'm thinking, okay, I don't need Twitter right now. Let me create. <laughs> <laughs> let me create my bubble. Um, if it means mm. going back to all good old radio station, I'll go there. If, like maybe once a day. If, yes. You know that the 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 country is not burning down or, or whatever. Yeah. 
but i'm trying mm-hmm. to protect my mental health like like an army would militarily <laughs> yeah yes you 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 actually have to because it's and the thing is and i think for me the worst part is you probably don't realize that it's taking its toll you just keep accumulating a little a little every day right. and then before you know it you're just overflowing you're being impatient with people you are being snarky and rude mm. and then you're not sleeping you're not eating right you many people i mean therapy is costs a bit of a buck in uganda you do not have access to your therapist or any of that so we are locked in our houses and you just have to be radically and forcefully intentional about looking after yourself because mm-hmm. at this point it's actually unfortunate with the way covid cuts us off, cuts us off from communities and friends you really have to be your first and last line of defense yes um Uh, I I listened to a podcast from Dr. Tema and there's a there's an episode where she talks about mothering yourself and every time I self neglect I think about uh how how can I mother myself how can I like take care of myself the way a mother would take care of their child yeah and uh, yes mm yeah. So you are a poet is that is that like one of the ways to that you you like dispense your anxiety in the past yes but um somehow with the, the what I think the worst part about this I mean the first lockdown and the first um pandemic wave was bad this one i think it's because the num- someone on twitter said and i don't remember who that the numbers are becoming names we know contacts in our phone books friends so with every i mean it's a friend of a friend it's a husband of a friend it's a coworker it's someone you worked with on a project and for me it has become really tough to write really really tough i start to write three lines in i can't go on but then i also do not know if i'm subconsciously trying to keep myself from falling apart because in writing i usually just let everything out i've only been able to write one coherent piece this entire season but then like i said i'm also not putting myself on pressure of oh my god you have to put this experience into words my i mean the whole of my body my mind and my spirit are going are feeling this experience mm. and if the most i can pull out of it creatively is one piece then that's what the world and me are going to get that's it yeah yeah Yeah. I, I think um when I reached out to you uh for the for, for to you guys for the podcast I'll, um like yesterday I was like I should cancel I should cancel because I felt like suddenly there's this anxiety that comes with creating uh, but then I told yes. myself it is self care and 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 let's go and just share info, especially uh for those who are living alone uh, probably um it's, mm. it it is good to hear voices uh, of of people who are going through this whole thing because i realized yes the covid the covid uh, anxiety i'm managing um i don't check whatsapp frequently anymore but then i realized that also the like creating a podcast comes with anxiety and then yes it does i'm like what have i done i shouldn't be doing this um then it it's it steals a few minutes or hours from my sleep i'm preparing and stuff and then that's when i i tell myself okay you have to go easy on yourself so before morin you share with us like 
uh, two of like your poems to encourage us, but also to to just you know say whatever it is that you want to say with your beautiful poetry. Um, Vivian, what are like the challenges of taking care of yourself as an adult? As we said, mothering yourself is not an easy task. What are like realistically? What are some of those challenges that that you have faced as an individual? Okay, so well, um, so as a feminist, I feel like our self care is not separate from our feminism. Because knowing and doing and being active in and being like socially and politically active, mm-hmm. it takes a toll on you, on your health, on your mental health. So it's, it's crucial for activists to take time to sit with themselves so that it's not five years later and you're, you've done work, yes, but you yourself, you're fading. Right. And neoliberalism also tells us these ideas around work and productivity that your labor is the only value you have. So I personally feel like that a lot. Like if you don't work, there's this, since we're kids, this thing, I think it's even in the Bible, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. But we know that from, from our feminism, we know that as a human, you deserve you deserve value, you deserve care and love just because of who you are as a person. So uh, getting rid of that, of that thought, that rise and grind culture, it's, it's really the primary hindrance. But after that, when you realize that you have innate value and that even if you wake up that day and you don't do anything till 6 p.m., that you will still have value, it's, it's, it's a first step to taking care of yourself fully. Um, of course, there's, it's not an everyday, it's not a thing that you have to, to, like, as I said, as you're not a machine, so you can't program yourself to show up in the same exact way every day. But what matters is that you try. What matters is that you show up for yourself, in, even if it's in a small way, at least you tried. Even if you woke up in the morning and you said, at least today I'll drink water. Even if I'm not going to do anything else, that counts. So, yes, I think those are the primary challenges to, to taking care of yourself. Yeah. Yes. And don't try to be a hero or um, don't try to be strong. It's okay to crumble sometimes and then pick yourself up in small little ways. Um, how can we yes, radically, yes. Yeah. How can we radically take care of ourselves in this time of grief and uncertainty? Um, well, um, for me, I think that um, first and foremost, I think that that... Um, this changes every day because like you said, one minute you're happy, you're scheduling a podcast. The next minute you're thinking, what have I done? So one today, a good breakfast from Java's could actually sail you through that day. And yet on another day, maybe you just need to cry. So I think that keeps changing. But um, one of the things that I think we all need to be okay with or find a way to be okay with is to not know it all. We really do not know. No matter how much information you drown, this thing is looks like it has 200 steps ahead of us. So I think it's okay to get to a point where, like you said, you do not need to know that what variant has come out today, which country has blocked which one from traveling. 
And you, I mean, like you said, if the country is not on fire and you have lived through another day, then we wait for the next day. The second, I think, um, so basically, I mean, the world is falling apart. It's, it's okay to not know. Um, the second one that I, and for me, that has been really key is staying true to how I socialize or my socializing style. I am an introvert. So I have, like I said, I log out of social media platforms for hours on end. I, um, I do not force appearances. If I can't be part of a group call, I'm not part of it. If I'm on a work call, then the work call ends. I, I try not to overextend myself because I'm already hanging by a thread as it is. But then if you are an extrovert and you thrive on energy and now everything and everyone is locked up, then you have to be intentional about reaching out to people, about scheduling group calls, about doing video calls instead of family lunch. Uh, if you used to do that with your family, because you need you. Your soul and spirit need to get some sort of energy poured into them, whichever way that that works for you. Um, I had something on a TV show, and this for me is the third thing. Um, let's not try to rehearse for tragedy. I mean, tragedy is already happening, but in not rehearsing for tragedy, again, let's not um, let's not pile on our let's not keep piling our grief. If you're able to, and I think we need to give our permissions to to grieve as much as we can. Sometimes that means crying through the night. Sometimes that means crying through the day. Sometimes that means crying every day if someone, you lose someone close or a friend loses someone close or you can't be there for someone who is going through loss. You sort of need to let these feelings go out because I think that um, for me, one of the biggest questions is how we are going to go back to mentally being even, I mean, already mentally we are suffering. So I do not know how we are going to go back to just being in an okay place after this when we get us when we get a hold on this entire pandemic so i think that you should cry scream wail jog bake a cake eat the cake send it to your loved ones whatever it is we we just need to let these feelings out because they will eat us up faster than the virus is if we just keep if we just keep letting them collect and collect then of course like um cover said take of your physical health if you can incorporate a work from home, um, a work, an exercise routine at home, a yoga routine, drink your water. If you have pre-existing conditions and you have access to your meds, take your meds. Try to not self-neglect because you see, I think our minds are already up against so much. You sort of need to give your physical body a fighting chance. Even if you survive corona and you do not get sick, just the whole the weight of this pandemic is taking toll on us physically. So just help your body. And then most importantly, I think it's important to be kind first to yourself and to everyone. Like we be on Twitter laughing and on WhatsApp groups sharing memes, but people are going through it every single day. And because of social media, this it is even being more amplified. Every, you see, you might not have lost someone close, but you know people who have. You might not be starving, but you're part of, I don't know, a drive on social media to collect money for someone who needs food. So it's just collective trauma everywhere and everywhere. So be kind to yourself. And by extension, it becomes easier to be kind to people. So those are the few ways I think that you can radically take care of yourself. Through. Wow. <laughs> that is so cool, uh, Maureen. Like... I, I have lunch so much. I'm just listening. Vivian, what do you think about what Maureen said? So wise, so wise. <laughs> so many notes. 
Yeah. So many knots. Don't rehearse. Pay me for them. Pay, <laughs> pay me for those knots. I'm looking for money <laughs> in this pandemic. Manage. <laughs> okay. <laughs> money. We need money in this pandemic. Mm. Uh, thank you so much, guys. Like I am. Um, I'm glad I did not cancel this. I I hope that the listeners. We are also glad you didn't cancel. Because I, 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 I am learning, so I'm hoping that the, someone out there who, who is alone in the house, because, you know, Kampala loneliness, eh? uh, for those who are <laughs> not, not married, you're alone. Yes, you're an introvert, you love your space, but this first, um, sp- this first closure takes away yeah. from you even as an introvert. So yes, you want yeah, you want to consent to being in the house. You don't want it yeah. to be by force, you know. <laughs> yeah, one of the coming things that I used to do when like I have hit rock bottom is to just drive to nowhere. Now I I can't. I I know you can't. Yeah. So you actually, I just walk. I just sit home, sit off from home, and say, okay, I'm going to play music. Wear my mask, work. When I feel relief, I'll come back home. But usually I come back home when my feet are hurting, but my mind is in a better place. So, yeah. Maureen, please treat us to your poetry. Yes, please. As we come to I a, do what? Treat us to your poetry uh, as we come to a close. Okay. Um... I, the one I want to read, let me see. I, the, you had asked for, for me to read about two. Mm. And the one that I want to read is called, I, before my birthday this year, I wrote, a, I did a birthday series on my Insta page. And I was just talking about the lessons I'd learned in the past year, which again was three quarters corona and three months no more. So um, there's one I wrote called How We Live. And basically what I was trying to talk about was the fact that life ebbs and flows. One like yesterday, um, I was re- yesterday was one of the good days. Like I've, one of the good days I've had this entire season. And you and I made this appointment. And then at eight, I someone I know and worked with for about seven. Okay, I worked with for I had worked with for about nine ten years. Passed on, oh, no. and it became you know. And I just sat there, and then I picked up the phone to tell you, you know what, I really can't do this tomorrow. And then I thought about it and I said, you know what, I'm going to do it. Not mm-hmm. because some sort of badge of honor of, oh my God, I showed up even while I'm grieving, mm-hmm. but because this, it's, it's unfortunate that this is the way life is. Like you will have a really good morning and in the afternoon, the rug will be pulled from under your feet. Mm-hmm. So how we live for me is a summary of, it's the human experience. Some days good, some days bad, many days horrible with Corona, but let's, I think understanding it and getting to a piece of, to a place of peace that it's, it's going to be like this. It's going to be like this in 10 years. It won't be Corona. It will be something else. Right. It will be a good job today and lost tomorrow. Today, a bonus tomorrow, fire door laid off. Um, today, a child tomorrow, I don't know, a widow, but you still have to, force yourself not i don't know how to say force yourself because i don't believe in fake positive being fakely positive but you making peace with the dark and the light of life sort of help you wade through because i really enjoyed this session with you two ladies 
but it doesn't take away the fact that I'm still grieving. Right. So how we live is really about both of the, the dark and the light of life. So let me read. I do not recite a lot, so um, enjoy my reciting voice as it is. Um, how we live. It's the way the waves come in, bringing you to your feet over and again, dragging you to the center of upheaval season after season, the way life never ceases to stop. To live is to accept the silent, permanent presence of heartache, to walk into each day uncertain of which way the winds will blow, to open your heart and show of how firmly the hands you give it to will hold it, planting your feet firmly on ground that gives way at will. This is life. This is how we live. Heartache swims in, swims in, swims in multiple ways, but with each lap it teaches you. Loss, though it changes you, instills an astute presence, an astute presence of gratitude. And because it knows that its visit is not permanent, joy screams to be acknowledged. Half storm and half rainbow, eco parts rage and calm. Fighting through stormy days for the promise of still nights. Tell me you finally understand. This is life. This is how we live. Wow. I'm just taking a moment, you know, to take in what you just said. It's so deep. Thank you so yeah. much for sharing that. I Thank you for the opportunity to share it. Vivian, I saw you yeah. clapping on the Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Vivian. Vivi, are you still there? Cab, are you there? I'm right here. What a beautiful poem. I feel like I say that every time I, I, I hear your poem or see it. I'm just hit. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, ladies. Ooh, I am excited for my listeners because I always uh, want them to just take a deep breath and repeat, just rewind that poem and... Move on to the next, dear listener. I think you do justice to your listeners. I have listened to your podcast and I really, really, it usually ends before I even want it to end. And I'm not just saying this because I know you and I'm on your podcast right now, but because I actually, I like your choice of guests and I like the way the conversations go. So thank you. And thank you for doing this, even in a really, really difficult and heavy season. Thank you so much, Maureen. Um, I'm encouraged. I mean, this is the first I have done since since things started going crazy. But um, mm. and from all our sides, we realize that it's not easy. But for for I, I was th- I was thinking to myself, what can I tell? What is there to say in such right heavy times of whole families down? But yet I still consume my daily, weekly podcasts. And I'm thinking yeah. there could be someone out there that will be encouraged by this. We hope there is. Yeah. I mean, if at the very least we'll be encouraged ourselves. <laughs> you have another poem for us, Maureen. Yes, I do. Um, the second one is called The Vow. I also wrote it as part of my birthday series. So The Vow is really um, a dedication stroke, a commitment to putting yourself first, um, which again, we've talked about during this, this episode, Radical Self-Care. So um, I'm going to go straight into it. Um, the Vow, chasing after the things that would not stay, caught at the center of a turbulence that will not give way. 
and the ones for whom you'd drown continue to swim further away. Pray tell who will keep you from sinking. Now that you've lost sight of the shore, how will you guide your heart back home? Burnt up all your oil to keep the way lit for others. Who will illuminate the path back to yourself? And there in the midst of this Goliath fall, I vow to keep my hands empty always for me. Fill my heart with the love I carry for others, but these hands would always stay empty. For the times I will need plucking from the bottom of the deepest waters or a final nudge to the shore. I would never again go too weary for my own salvation. I will keep coming back for me. I will turn the world on its feet before I walk from myself again. And that's it. So the reason I chose it for this session is because I think, I know, I believe and I know that the own, the, the, the selves, ourselves, the parts of ourselves that will come back to life or try to rebuild after we have gained control of this pandemic or eliminated it or learned to live alongside it will have to be the ones that have survived these first two or three or four phases. And we, the responsibility still falls on us in a weird and very cynical way of the universe, but the responsibility still falls on us to find our best selves, to, some, to somehow keep our best selves alive and awake, drink water, take your meds, exercise, work out, stay off social media if you need to, so that when life starts, we, we still have the, the really good versions of ourselves. And that starts with radical self-care. Okay. I don't know how to end this, uh, this episode. Uh, how do you usually end them? <laughs> <laughs> I'm overwhelmed by this, you know, this poetry that you're sharing with us, the easiness that you're sharing with. So this is hijacking you. I should have, I'm thinking about it now. I should have told you earlier. But can you just take us through a breath, a breathing session? You have led us through a breathing session before somewhere. Can you just centering ourselves? Take us through that centering ourselves. All right. Uh, okay. So get comfortable. Get comfortable wherever you are, whether you're sitting or standing. I know that we're sometimes, some of us are sick and our airways are not as clear. So the idea is to just breathe in as deep as possible through the nose and then breathe out through the mouth. And when you breathe out, just release everything Everything should be loose from your toes to your tongue, to your jaw, to your knees. Feel everything. Just breathe. And now we breathe in through the nose. And out. And relax everything. Thank you so much, Vivian. Thank you so much, Maureen. We've come to the end. Of Thank our- you, Vivian. Thank you, Prue. We've come to the end of our recording. I am for I'll forever be grateful. It's like the highlights of my lockdown so far. We Thank are you honored. so much, Prue. Yeah.
We end this segment with the words of Audrey Lord. Caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation. Thank you for listening to Nyamshana's podcast. Be safe. Stay home if you can. Wear your mask. Be kind to yourself. Until next time. Bye-bye. The COVID-19 pandemic has disrupted economies across the globe and has caused economic strain on states in Africa. The economic downturn has led to declining tax bases, which has in turn led to many tax authorities seeking new revenue streams. So countries have turned to social media taxes or some form of digital tax as one of the new revenue streams. With the rise in internet access and use in the region, as well as the increasing reliance on e-commerce services, digital taxes have become a target for many states. But what is the impact of digital taxation in Africa? What lessons can be learned from African countries that have imposed taxes? How can African countries smartly navigate economic crisis while ensuring digital rights are respected? In this episode, I capture highlights from a conversation on the impact of digital taxes in Africa that was hosted by CIPESA, the collaboration on international ICT policy in East and Southern Africa. This is Nyamshana's podcast. I am Nyamshana Prudence. Ashadi Abinala from Media Convergency and Avani Singh from Alt Advisory discuss how countries can navigate economic crises while ensuring digital rights are respected in reference to the case of Tanzania and South Africa. I would say more that uh, the question itself as in navigating economic crisis while ensuring digital rights uh, are respected, it has been sort of a challenge for the government in the past few, few years and uh, it is uh, somehow sort of changing in the recent, uh, in the recent three years, uh, showing... Um, showing a remarkable difference in how uh, such regulations, laws and sanctions related to the cybercrime laws can play a very big factor by who is the leader of the country at that time. So uh, speaking speaking from Tanzania and using my uh, Tanzania's mic uh, as, as the case study, I, w- I would say that uh, Tanzania is one of those countries in which uh, the digital technology and the uh, the, the internet disruption on the forms of revenue has uh, has posed as a, as a very big challenge, not only as uh, not only to the authorities but to the people themselves. And this being because uh, the forms of revenue income, uh, in most cases in the country and across countries, uh, uh, in a way that uh, they do not happen physically. So uh, the, the authorities and government, knowing that they are missing a lot of chunk of a, of a certain revenue, have uh, tended to pause uh, laws, regulations, and sanctions in ways which really hinder, in one way or another, to the rights. I would say rights of uh, users on the online space. So we've uh, so we've had these. Uh, digital taxations uh, close, closely linked with uh, digital rights, especially in the in the lines of freedom of expression and privacy, and those uh, which allow uh, those specific, specifically those which allow people to access, use, create, and publish digital media, as well as access electronic devices through communication networks. 
I would say uh, for the case of Tanzania, for instance, uh, from 2012 up to 2018, there was a really good number of online content producers. And um, when we're talking about online content producers, I would like to specifically touch on blogging and vlogging. I'm having a few as a, uh, as a narrowing, uh, narrowing down the example. And uh, talking about this group, we had like a composition of five kinds of online content producers. And these were all considered as, uh, well, they were all considered in the same basket. So we have these uh, bloggers or vloggers who created original content, and the, major- the majority did it in Swahili content. We are talking of, about bloggers who are experts in different fields, uh, sharing insights and information that can be beneficial to the community. To the community. And second, we are also talking about bloggers who uh, maybe they have their own agenda, carrying a certain agenda, whether it is political, whether it is religious or affiliated to any entity or opposing entities. We are also talking about the third type, which uses uh, uses it for an avenue for information, like uh, especially that which has to do with uh, lively tricks, like uh, 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 just sharing how certain things are done in the community. And um, we are also talking about those who use now it for as uh, a source of revenue, like journalists, we are talking about public figures, we are talking about the entertainment industry. And while the government or respective authorities uh, imposed uh, certain uh, online regulations to aim at those who are who are getting a certain revenue from the from the space, it tended to disrupt the whole system. So we have five kinds of people who produce content via vlogging and and, and, and blogging, but uh, you're aiming at one to disrupt all of them. And you should take note that Swahili, Tanzania is a Swahili-speaking uh, country, and any content which tends to be added on, on the online, is, or any content which is original, especially from experts, added, added online, Usually, is of very has has a high value for most users because we want more users to use the space not only for entertainment reasons but also to get informed. So, in came the Epoca laws of online content regulation in 2018. Of course, they've been updated again in 2020, and again they are being updated again, which stipulated which stipulated that online content producers. Uh, we're liable to, to apply for license registration. So you're applying for license registration, but you have two different fees. They're telling you you should apply, you, you, should, you should pay for a fee to, to, uh, to pay for a license fee. So uh, a person is allowed to pay for license registration fee of around $45. At the same time, they're also liable to pay for a license fee for up to $900 uh, at, uh, at, uh, at, uh, at every incurring year. So the respective authority in the approach in which they are governing the space, uh, it, it is more politicizing and uh, intim- in an intimidate, intimidating manner in a way which doesn't really thrive uh, for these users or innovators to, 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 to sort of thrive on the space or to be more innovative, share more content and uh, embrace and practice their, their digital rights. So in the in the long run, you, you find that there are a lot of consequences uh, when it comes to the government. Um, when it comes to the government themselves uh, navigating the economic crisis, that they weren't really playing that role. Uh, they were more they are more set on making sure that the digital rights were not respected or were not practiced, uh, which are sort of is changing hopefully. And uh, in the long run, the consequences have been that there is no clear line when it comes to a person who 
creates content online. There is no identification or definition. So when you call in a blogger, like say with the five different categories, you are all you are all putting them all in one basket, and they they end up getting the same consequences, which they are not all supposed to get. At the te- at the same time, you find there is a lot of data protection breach. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of content producers are. Uh, are forced to submit information to the authorities or intermediary platforms are for, and ISP providers are forced to, uh, to provide responsible information, um, respective information to the authorities when they need, especially when they find content which is posted, uh, not uh, so much into their favor. But then there, there have been some new developments, and I like even, uh, even Dr. Christopher did mention there that um, Tanzania has introduced some uh, has introduced some developments where they've removed some taxes when it comes to devices and digital uh, digital device digital devices and gadgets as of first of July as a tabled, uh, uh, as part of a tabled budget for 2021-2022. But of course, we still have a long way to go because as much as there are these new developments which seem to be hopeful, but the government again has uh, has brought some opposing new development that somehow will inevitably affect the digital economy and digital rights for the newly introduced charges also effective from 1st of July. So the Minister of Finance and Planning had proposed that the, 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 the EPOCA be amended uh, uh, with uh, two sections, which uh, one is to impose a levy of between 10 to 10,000 shillings in each mobile money transaction of sending and withdrawing. So the amount of the levy varies depending on the value of each transaction sent or withdrawn. And these, uh, the, these numbers are on top of the already taxes which are available. And the second one is um, they've also imposed a levy between 10 to $200 per day for every SIM card, depending on the ability of the user to recharge the balance. And while a lot of people have complained about this, and the, yeah, of course, it's sort of, uh, it is so, sort of disheartening because then again, it will decrease the number of users on the Internet space it is. Uh, it is. It, it go. It also goes contrary to their wish, which they have said that they want to increase the number of internet users by 2025 by 80 percent. Like they want more users of internet um, in Tanzania. So there is a strategic plan already. They're also doing. Um, they're also doing a lot of investments on the internet infrastructure by spreading over the coverage of national ICT broadband. From the current 7,900 kilometers to 15,000 kilometers by 2025, they also want to increase ICT initiatives and partner with ICT initiatives and projects as a way to move the agenda of ICT and the digital economy forward. So yeah, while they are doing initiatives which are sort of really promising, but then again, when it comes to directly, you would find that uh, most uh, of, um, I would say, the majority of Tanzanians would really not afford to be online with the newly imposed taxes, specifically and especially because they've been complaining for a very long time that the charges are... Thank you so much, El. Um So my name is Avni Singh. I'm a director at Alt Advisory and Powersing Incorporated based in Johannesburg. And I'm going to be highlighting a few examples from the South African experience um, in terms of proposal to, di- uh, to tax uh, for digital taxes. Um, and then draw on some of the lessons that we've learned around balancing this against fundamental rights. 
So it's tried that the COVID-19 pandemic has exacerbated the existing economic crises being faced in the region, but seeing business closures um, causing job losses and seeing many people being forced to accept lower incomes as a result of business constraints. From a South African perspective, as of October 2020, approximately 600,000 formal sector jobs had been lost due to lockdown restrictions. And so we know that there's a dire economic situation. And it's therefore understandable that governments would be looking for different solutions and in some instances low-hanging fruit to increase revenues um, from a taxation perspective. But that said, the discussions regarding digital taxes in South Africa preceded the COVID-19 pandemic, and it's something that's been an ongoing discussion. There are three proposals in South Africa that are of particular interest that I'd like to bring to your attention. The first is that in June 2020, the Parliamentary Budget Office prepared a tax brief on digital economy and taxation policy considerations. According to the brief, there's a great need to ensure that economic policies and government's regulatory frameworks, including tax rules that keep up to date with rapid digital transformation of economies, because the failure to do so would have the potential to accelerate economic inequalities and further hinder human and economic development of many developing countries. Amongst its considerations, the Parliamentary Budget Office noted um, that it so that South Africa should consider adopting a unilateral approach to, uh, to the tax aid, to digital taxes because of the seemingly slow progress on the OECD front. The second proposal came in October 2020 from the Presidential Commission on the Fourth Industrial Revolution, which published a report looking at the state of technology in South Africa for the 4IR. This included a proposal for a new digital tax on the so-called FANGs, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, which would potentially comprise of the following. A digital tax for international technology companies. Second, a tax structure on processed minerals used in 4IR components. And third, a research and development tax incentive for 4IR startups. The Commission called on the government to adopt a digital taxation draft law, similar to that adopted by Turkey in 2019, which provides that turnover generated from certain digital tax services are subject to a 7.5% digital services tax in the country. The third proposal came uh, from a report commissioned by the South African National Editors Forum um, into Media Ethics and Credibility, which was authored by retired judge uh, Kathleen Satchel. The report noted that the loss of ad spent and other news revenue is particularly damaging when the majority goes offshore to the fangs and is no longer available for South African media survival and development. It combines with the decline in print circulation and the emergence of paywalled online content to narrow what is available to the majority of low-income South African news consumers. The recommendations included in the report um, included stating that uh, SANEF and the relevant state authorities should inquire into means of taxing the South African operations of the so-called FANGs so that a portion of the said tax revenue is channeled into supporting media diversity whether through funding media pluralism or through funding content diversity, and made a, a series of specific recommendations in that regard. The issue, however, is that when we're grappling with these quite complex and nuanced topics, very little attention has been paid to the rights-based considerations that arise in terms of who bears the ultimate cost of the taxes being levied. To the extent that this is borne by the end user, 
This will serve to further limit access to the internet, which is crucial to an array of rights, including freedom of expression, access to information, as well as the associated rights like assembly, health, education, and so on. In South Africa, the cost to communicate remains prohibitively high, despite efforts to decrease data costs, including the Competition Commission's inquiry, which found data pricing to be anti-poor and required mobile operators to engage with the Commission to reduce data costs. A notable development from a human rights perspective has been the revised Declaration of Principles on Freedom of Expression and Access to Information in Africa, which was published by the African Commission or adopted by the African Commission on Human and People's Rights. In terms of Principle 38, it states that states shall only adopt economic measures, including taxes, levies and duties, on internet and information and communication technology service end users that do not undermine universal, equitable, affordable, and meaningful access to the internet, and that are justifiable and compatible with international human rights laws and standards. This gives rise to a complex and nuanced balancing act that's required, that's not yet received the attention it deserves. The rights affected at an international law level include Article 9 of the African Charter on Human and People's Rights and Article 19 of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, regarding the right to freedom of expression and access to information, and Article 15 of the International Covenant on Economic and Social and Cultural Rights that requires all persons enjoy the benefits of scientific progress. Any restrictions on these rights must meet the strict three-part test for a justifiable limitation, which includes considerations of justifiability, necessity, and proportionality. In closing, then, I would just echo the words of the International Monetary Fund, that noted that plans towards digital taxes must be approached with some caution. If successful, they say, new tax regimes could make it easier for countries to collect re uh, revenue generated within their borders and reduce public ire towards the out toward the outside successes of American companies like Amazon, Facebook, Apple, and Google parents' alphabet. If botched, a patchwork of digital-specific taxes could spark trade wars and bog down inf uh, innovation without generating enough money to matter. Thanks, Ian. I'll leave it there. But what is the perspective of online businesses on this topic? Ron Kawamara, country manager for Jumia Food in Uganda, gives us insight into the impact of the over-the-top tax that was levied on Ugandan digital consumers in 2018. Yes, absolutely. Indeed, uh, we have been engaging government on this very uh, topic. Uh, and and uh, for me, on top of what uh, the other speakers have mentioned about how bad of policy it is to tax uh, digital services, um, we also see that there's a little bit um, of a lack of a knowledge uh, or a knowledge gap in terms of the scope of the ICT sector specifically um, e-commerce. Number one, um, e-commerce is still at the beginning, at its infancy um, in Uganda and generally uh, across the board. We see, for example, where we still have low sales for e-commerce. We have fewer vendors, fewer customers. Um, and basically, uh, to grow and scale e-commerce requires a high marketing investment, technology costs, and huge losses. And so that's not the perception um, uh, that we see. And so uh, let's let's look at um, the percentage of transactions that are happening online in Uganda. It's less than 1%. Uh, 
versus what we see uh, about 25% uh, in Europe and, and North America. IFC wrote a report that showed uh, that uh, the digital economy uh, by 2032 could reach uh, 180 billion in Africa. So we know the potential is there. And e-commerce is a key um, driver uh, in this. And what we've seen uh, as well is that uh, there's a perception that um, there's so much value already being created, but we'll see the realities that we're so far from where the government thinks we are uh, as the industry, as a space. And we see also there's a confusion um, between uh, companies that are creating value here and companies that are not creating uh, value here. What we find uh, is that uh, companies like Jumia, who uh, have local physical presence, have local entities, are paying sales tax, they're paying and remitting VAT, uh, they're paying corporate tax, in a way are being considered just like YouTube or Facebook, who have no physical presence, who are not paying or remitting any of the taxes. And so, for me, that has been uh, a big black hole of the knowledge that in terms of understanding where we are and the potential um, that we have um, in this space. Another aspect we've seen has been on the impact on the sector of some of the actions you guys have been discussing. Uh, the OTT, uh, now the new 12% tax on the internet. The reality is that we see a real direct impact on our operations. I'll give you specific examples. Um, when we, uh, before we introduced OTT, we had about uh, 11 million reach on Facebook in terms of customers we could target, uh, acquire online. With the introduction of OTT, that reach dropped by 35%. Our cost per install, that is the install of the application on the phone, moved from being 20 cents on a dollar to 1.2 uh, dollars to acquire one install. The cost to retarget customers grew five times over. Now, what happened in this case? The reach became smaller. Fewer people were, were connecting online. And all the uh, online aggregators were competing for a smaller and a smaller pool. What we see is that it's more expensive now to scale a tech company, to scale any small business in Uganda that relies on the internet, when we make it very difficult for customers to connect, when we make uh, fewer and fewer people able to afford the internet. So in reality, uh, the last year and a half, the last two years, where we had OTT and then the introduction of the uh, VPN, people might, might see it and say the VPN is, uh, allows consumers to avoid these taxes. It has real impact as well, one, on data security, but two, also it makes it very difficult to actually reach these customers with the services and products that we have. Uh, segmentation is difficult. It's more costly. So in terms of real money we're paying out. We're paying out way more, uh, reducing our pace of growth, reducing our ultimate tax liability because we're not growing. We're not getting customers, we're not getting orders. And so it's regressive in that the government is cutting off your left hand to save your right hand. From a regulator's perspective, Anthony Marufu Chigazira, a consultant in regulatory affairs and former executive secretary of the Communications Regulators Association, CRASA, based in Gaborone, Botswana, 
gave his perspective on how to create a balance between revenue collection and protection of human rights. Where we are sitting as regulators, I want to say that regulators of telecommunications really are not, uh, have not been into taxation issues because this is an area, uh, a preserve uh, for finance ministers, for finance, for ministries of finance and for um, re- re- revenue authorities. However, uh, I would suggest that uh, when regulating uh, this sector, because it's a specialist sector, there be collaborative regulation because we end up with tax authorities who do not understand the, the sector, who are coming up with all sorts of um, taxes or who are considering set, certain taxes in the sector based on emotional uh, claims which they find in the media and so on. So it would be best if there's collaboration because of uh, its nature. It is very important that we have collaborative regulation so that uh, those tax authorities should work together hand in glove with the regulators of the sector because we have been trying to build regulatory capacity uh, by making sure we have partnerships, viable partnerships for capacity building with uh, the likes of Facebook, the the Huawei, the Ericsson's, the Spider, more connectivity and uh, uh, more pressure on... uh, uh, increased connections and uh, uh, availability of broadband to everyone. There is a lot of pressure on regulators uh, to tax OTTs maybe as a way of uh, addressing what they consider to be unfair competition. What we were seeing, what we were receiving as regulators was uh, a cry from the operators they were crying that there is unfair competition from what they said were disruptive uh, uh, technologies. Yes, it has been demonstrated. The operators are, in, are saying don't look too much into the revenues because everybody at the same time is crying data must fall. The, data must, the cost of data must fall. The cost of data must fall. At the same time, their workers, they employ a lot of people. They employ... Uh, Thousands of people. Yes, Facebook employs around sixty-five thousand. Yeah, mainly in America, but uh, these operators they employ millions of people, and uh, they are uh, calling for increased wages. They want salaries, higher salaries, and the cost of maintaining those networks is going up. Uh, The cost of space is going up, and at the same time, everybody is crying that data cost of data must fall. So. The, the balancing act is very difficult because, yes, uh, consideration must be given to. I think if we talk of rights, digital rights, yes, they will then say, okay, yes, it's in the bundle of rights, but those are not the only rights. They will say uh, there are so many other rights that are, uh, that are, need to be considered. There are so many rights. There is the issue of... Uh, the rights to food, the rights to uh, other basics, other basics. Because uh, if we say digital rights, are we saying the digital rights are being uh, discrimination based on race, on color, on gender, on language, on creed, on political affiliation? 
or social national or social origin or property or birth or other status why why then is it becoming a rights issue because they, they will say there are other basic rights such as the right to life there's a right to liberty and security right to own property a right to social security right to work a right to standard of living right to adequate health including food water clothing yet all those others are taxed yes there are rights but the tax the taxes are there even on educational platforms, yes, there is a right to education, but educational platforms are taxed. So if we advance that rights argument, it, it, we won't get far because countries are sovereign. And uh, if, if they are not discriminating uh, and these broad-based taxes are spread across fairly. Why did the Ugandan government um, levy a digital tax in 2018. From the Uganda Revenue Authority, Mili shares the perspective of government and why they levied taxes on Ugandan users in 2018. I was quite intrigued by Anthony's discussion on rights. <laughs> I liked it. So this is Mili from Uganda Revenue Authority. I'll start my discussion with, with, with our vision at Uganda Revenue Authority. And that's a transformational revenue service for Uganda's economic independence. And that is one of the things that guided um, as we came up with um, this tax over, over the top tax. But allow me, Ian, to start with what is, what is trending out there. We know that uh, e-commerce, and, and it has been discussed, has become the leading enabler of businesses and it's the fastest growing. So as, as a country or as an economy, you find that the tax base is, is shrinking very fast. Where you used to go to shops to collect revenues, these people are now trading in space and, and you're not having any touch points. You're not having touch points. The businesses are moving from brick and mortar to online, fiat money to to cards, to bitcoins, and, and and this modernization is moving so fast, especially for us developing economies. And I agree with, with the colleagues who have said that uh, the, the knowledge gaps, the knowledge gaps that are existing. So you find the challenges that we've, we've been faced with Uganda and other similar economies is what has been discussed before, the, the, the lack of nexus of rules to tax the local jurisdictions. You find that with the e-commerce and digital economy, uh, people can trade across jurisdictions. And we are unable to get to get to those. One of the key issues we've been facing is e-commerce enables distant people to initiate multiple transactions with customers in different countries without getting in touch with them. So Previously, the previous models of taxation, you had to have a place of residence in the country who would be able to reach you. You had records. Now there's no visibility. And the only places you can see are those that are, 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 are the, the channels, like uh, Jacob put it, they are a channel, but, but they are channels. So due to that lack of visibility, you're forced to find a way because you must be able to support your, your economy. 
we know that uh, e-commerce has also transferred businesses and enabled them to engage in, in these jurisdictions. However, like has been discussed before, this business of bringing policies piecemeal is, is uh, becoming quite a challenge. But we've also seen revenues really coming down. And at the point where in 2018 uh, we proposed the over-the-top tax, it was to attempt to, to tap into this fast-growing platform, this fast-growing business enabler, and see if we can get in there. Of course, like has been discussed, we got it wrong. And uh, one of the earlier presenters noted that uh, vis-a-vis the targets we gave, the collections were quite low and even in the next year. So as, um, as a country, as government and, uh, and the revenue administration, we opted to look at a better way. We opted to work with the telecom companies and come up with the, uh, that local excise that has been mentioned, that is 12%. And indeed, we have uh, removed the over-the-top um, services tax. First of all, uh, we had targeted, uh, she mentioned the values in billions, for me, in, in US dollars, I have them in billions. We had targeted 284 billion, but only collected 50 billion. Of course, most of our people went on to the VPN services. And like as earlier discussed, if you don't look at it end to end, then you're bound to lose because people will find other channels to be able to mobilize this revenue. So we then came up with, together with the telecom companies, we agreed that let's start with a 12% that cuts up costs. So we removed the OTT, and then we are able to protect the revenue base of the telecom industry to reduce the burden of tax administration and also harmonize. Of course, in that 12%, we've looked at the education sector and we've also looked at the health sector as areas that uh, are exempt in a bid to get into um, this area. Uh, we also have um, wh- what we are focusing on. And I'll say we learned a lot from the OTG. It was totally not received by the public. It was punched from day one until the day we scrapped it. Made government very unpopular, made revenue administration very unpopular, and even the revenues didn't come in as expected. So for sure, it's very important to bridge the knowledge gap. So what we are looking at now is to generate knowledge as an intersection of taxation and digital finance. What, what we are actually interested in is that digital finance where we used to access and be able to have visibility into the financial movements through the banks. It's now all in space. So for me, my cry out to to the colleagues, panelists, and all the people in this sector is let's work together and have visibility. Like um, has been discussed before by by the, the, the colleagues, is yes, there's a lot of expense in this sector. There's a lot of uh, infrastructure investment. There's a lot of uh, stuff that you have to pay. But we don't see these things. I'll give you an example. When we were Googling and looking for information, we found a company that has listed 1,690 hotels, of which 400 of these hotels are in Kampala. 
Now, these companies advertise online. They receive the money online. And they don't even declare this company is not registered. And this company made about 11.85 billion Uganda shillings in a year. It's not anywhere on our radar, but 400 of the hotels are in Kampala. So that lack of visibility is what pushes us to come up with some of these uh, unpopular unpopular uh, taxes. So for me, what I would uh, call out to, to the rest, of course, we are looking at how we can leverage from the new technologies, how we can uh, work together with civil society and, uh, like has been said, the regulators, the researchers. As Uganda, we took a step back and we have put in place, uh, specifically for Uganda Revenue Authority, a research committee to deeply look into this digital economy, this this e-commerce, and we are pushing to work together with the regulators, researchers, and and all those, so that we come up with the with, with solid solutions. And indeed, like has been earlier presented, when you rush this thing, you get it wrong, and and you burn your fingers. And yet, as as a country, we do not want to kill the business, and yet we need the the revenues. So, in conclusion, uh, Ian, I want to say that we need to factor in. The catalyst. We all know that COVID-19 has catalyzed the digital economy. Even small markets in Uganda, we see small markets now advertising online and, and, and delivering and delivering from home. So we can no longer access you in the shop. So we need to factor in that catalyst and know that definitely there's a lot of trade. This is now the platform. It's no longer the shops, brick and mortar. The platform is online. So we need to work together with, with the governments and the trade to have this visibility and be able to support support the government to generate revenue. Thank you. Onika N. Makwankwa from Alliance for Affordable Internet gives a perspective from civil society on the impact of taxes on the users. I will start off by saying that I do believe that we can balance revenue generation with digital uh, as well as human rights. And um, that's because we have consumer protection laws uh, as well. And, you know, uh, so the same way that we uh, regulate and protect uh, markets as well as uh, consumers offline, we have duty to figure it out and also uh, provide the same for digital uh, consumer rights and, and expand them uh, in that way. So, you know, regulators in the sector, therefore, have a responsibility to regulate for the market, but they also have a responsibility to protect uh, consumer rights. Um, and uh, affordability is, is a big issue uh, in this sector. You know, access to the Internet is a human right. I think all of us have uh, accepted that. Um, if anything, I think COVID-19 lockdowns have really uh, drilled it in that uh, we need to ensure that everyone has access uh, to the Internet. And affordability is the one of the biggest uh, reasons that are keeping so many more uh, offline as well as um, 
you know, areas where we still are not able to uh, connect people. Taxes um, that are, are passed on to consumers further burden consumers who are already struggling uh, with the cost of, of, of access. And therefore, we have to guard against over-taxation of the sector. Uh, this over-taxation actually threatens the gains that we have made uh, in terms of uh, bringing people on board online. We are still very far behind as a continent. Um, you know, someone earlier mentioned the FAI is one for two target. That is an international standard for, for affordability. And uh, we are in a region where that average is about 5.8, almost 6%. Uh, and remember now that this is not 6% of what people are just spending on data. It's 6% for the cost of one gig of data. Uh, I'm sure most of us on this call here have already expanded one gig of data uh, just being uh, in this conversation. And so when we're talking about meaningful connectivity, we are not even scraping the surface in terms of what's actually required uh, from an affordability point of view. So the, the taxes um, increase the cost to connect and they further disadvantage, especially women and low-income populations who experience a disparate impact from the increasing uh, cost. So a balanced fiscal policy is a must uh, in order for us to be able to, to continue with our progress around uh, creating affordability for broadband and ICT as a whole. So I think uh, smart taxation is really the conversation that we need to be having around how do we have balanced and smart taxation in a way that does not forestall the growth and gains uh, of, the, of the sector uh, in the region. We remain the place with the least affordable data and have the lowest of internet adoption. We have to change that. In order for us to fast track that, uh, affordability has to be addressed. You know, fewer than a third uh, of our population in the region is online uh, compared to 54% globally. And so that also threatens our global competitiveness. Uh, you know, the youth of Africa today is competing for jobs, not with the other young person next to them in their village, but they are in a global race even for jobs. So how do we give them an advantage through being able to connect them in a way that um, is affordable? Uh, and, and lastly, uh, Mili uh, Isingoma, thank you so much for your comments. She raised something really important that we have to work together multi-sectorally. I've been advocating for a summit between finance ministers and ministers of talk, of um, communications because um, there needs to be a better understanding of, um, you know, what is happening here. A lot of the countries, you know, I'll take South Africa, for example, and maybe even Nigeria, we are experiencing a decline in our regular revenue streams, uh, whether it be from mining or oil revenues. It would be interesting to hear from an OTT player's perspective, such as Facebook, on what their perspective is on this topic. And to discuss this is Jacob Paul of Facebook. My name is Jacob Puel. I lead tax policy for the Middle East and Africa and the U.S. states, actually. And I'm based here uh, in our Washington, D.C. office. Uh, I would like to provide, you know, how we at Facebook see a lot of this uh, debate and discussion going on. I think one thing that really stuck out that I, I believe it was Avani who said um, 
you know, if we get digital taxes right, it's great and everyone will have more revenue. If we don't or if we botch it, uh, we'll see, you know, a piecemeal chaotic approach to the digital economy. And unfortunately, I think the latter is, you know, becoming more visible as you know, the, the digital economy operates largely without borders, right? We're able to sell advertising services to basically anyone in the world. They just log on, they buy what they want. They're almost always, you know, uh, dealing exclusively with a computer server, likely in Ireland, possibly the United States if they're Canadian or American. Um, but, you know, there's no border there. And yet a lot of the rules and regulations and taxes we see are very specific to, you know, where the transaction takes place. And those transactions would be consumption transactions, right? You are buying something, a service from Facebook. So you the, the proper way to extract uh, tax revenue from that, you know, that part of the digital economy is through value-added tax on digital services. And in Africa, um, we don't see as many of these. I, I could be wrong, but I think it's either five or six countries currently have that regime that applies to non-resident companies providing uh, advertising services. So a handful of countries... Uh, like Ghana, Morocco, and Tanzania, you know, have a VAT regime that applies to most services, but does not apply to advertising. And we at Facebook, by the way, you know, we fully support uh, the adoption of uh, VAT regimes on advertising services, as long as they are applied or as long as they're implemented in line with OECD best practices. Um, we actually work with governments all the time to help you know, we, not just Facebook, but other digital companies to help uh, governments implement these regimes. We've had workshops at the country level and at the regional level. Um, and again, I think these regimes are live now in 80 plus jurisdictions around the world. Uh, in the United States, we have sales tax, but only a handful of states actually levy a sales tax on advertising. So it is a little bit different for us here domestically. Um, but generally, you know, we see the world as tax policies, shoulds and shouldn'ts. Uh, tax policy shouldn't discriminate based on nationality or business sector. You know, in a perfect world, the income would be progressively taxed regardless of you know how you earned it. Uh, but obviously, you know, governments want to incentivize certain behaviors, not disincentivize others. So they might you know have preferential rates for a market they're trying to attach. Again, you know, in a perfect world, it would all be equal, but. Everyone, you know, has priorities. Tax policy shouldn't distort unless, you know, you're trying to discourage a behavior like has been alluded to, sin taxes, right? Alcohol, sugar, smoking, et cetera. But you know, generally, digital advertising is the most cost-effective way for uh, a business, especially a small business, to reach customers. So uh, charging, you know, tax specifically on digital advertising or OTT services in general, right, tends to be disproportionately difficult for poor and low-income households as well as harder on small businesses and kind of discourages an activity that most economies are trying to drive, which is, you know, small business development, especially in the digital economy. Um, discourage their thing, right, you don't want to stop small businesses from growing, especially expanding across borders, right? So you don't want a Kenyan company to not sell into Tanzania because Tanzania has draconian rules that would make it difficult to um, to have a commercial relationship with someone, even though they're, you know, just a few miles away across the border, excuse me, kilometers, wrong market. Um, and the tax policy should be, you know, broad-based. Again, it should be um, the same, depend, you know, regardless of what kind of income you're having or what type of transaction. There's, it should be in line with global norms and best practices. Again, OECD and 
and other a few other regional organizations have um, these sets of best practices. This is what we generally work with countries when we're helping implement uh, VAT regimes on extra or sorry extraterritorial VAT regimes on electronically supplied services. And third, uh, they need to be workable for taxpayers and tax administrations. Right? If you, it's great if you have, um, you know. Uh, that regime at a nice high rate and you can forecast all you want that it's going to raise plenty of revenue. But if it's not workable for taxpayers, you know, there's loopholes, people can use, you know, call the transaction one thing and get around it. Then, you know, all of that is kind of you know, lost. So there's, it really defeats the purpose. And same with um, tax administrations. If they don't have a, you know, workable way to collect the tax and we see this, you know, unfortunately, plenty here in the U.S. as well as abroad, uh, it can be really difficult to actually enforce tax rules. So it's better for everyone, right, if the rules are simple and easy to enforce. And I'm always familiar with this, and we generally don't include services in our sales tax regimes, um, but that is starting to change as we expand that here. So I've talked a lot about VAT. Income tax, I think, is, you know, there's a much broader conversation going on internationally about how uh, we, Facebook, or FANG, you know, I think was alluded to earlier, how we should pay income tax. So income tax is generally based on residency. And this makes a lot of sense, right? It's easy to argue that, oh, you should carve it up based on, you know, where you earn revenue. However, if I am a government, uh, I have a lot of incentives to, you know, grow businesses, small, medium, and large businesses domestically. And I want them to sell elsewhere, right? You want to grow your um, what you're exporting, increase your trade surplus, etc. So you have a lot of financial incentives. Um, and there's a lot of agreements, right, to kind of facilitate that open trade. So if you have, let's say, R&D credits or new markets credits or whatever, you know, domestic rules countries want to use to boost their exports, um, you've got a company and maybe it's you know, it's running at a loss. It's uh, just, it's, it's getting up and running. And then one day it finds its stride and it's a big uh, international service provider, for example, you know, and if suddenly all those revenues are then, ta- or sorry, that income is now taxable in other jurisdictions where you raise revenue, it does disincentivize countries to kind of invest, especially offering uh, net operating loss credits or R&D kind of credits. So there, there are, you know, reasons that income is still taxed based on residency. And it also matters, right, like where companies invest. So, um, and... A lot of this, you know, is changing, needs to change. The digital economy has kind of loosened the, we'll say, traditional notion of how to tax uh, brick-and-mortar businesses. And, you know, we we at Facebook support that. I think most digital companies support that as well. Uh, However, the rules really do need to be changed uh, on a multilateral level, right? If if, again, alluding to what Avani said, if we botch this, we end up with this really difficult patchwork of domestic taxes that's not workable really for tax administrations or the uh, the businesses that are trying to, you know, operate, you know, get those payments. Countries around Africa continue to levy taxes on their users, but what are the lessons that can be learned from countries that have imposed digital taxes? And to take us through this is Ashna Kalemera, 
of CIPESA. There is a very dismal tax base and projections are not met. Um, the average revenue per user, i.e. what the average subscriber spends in a month, uh, is very low in many African countries. And Uganda is one of those and can demonstrate it uh, very well. Uh, according to figures from the Uganda Communications Commission, um, as of September last year, uh, the average phone subscriber spent uh, approximately 10,500 shillings, which is about 2.8 US dollars per month, on all their voice calls, data, SMS, and access taxes. So up until June 30th, uh, 2021, which is last week, a monthly social media tax of uh, USD 1.5 alone consumed up to 54% of the average subscriber's telecommunication services spent. In comparison, uh, there are other African countries where uh, the ARPU is much higher. Uh, we can take the example of Botswana. Per MTN Group figures, uh, most recent, they indicate that the ARPU figure for Botswana is USD 6.62 as of the first quarter of 2021. Uh, the Botswana Unified Revenue Services uh, body indicated in early 2020 that it was exploring introducing a digital tax due to the decrease in tax revenue. However, unlike its counterpart in Uganda, uh, which has a much lower ARPU, uh, Botswana is yet to take any action to date. Um, Despite the, the low ARPU figures across markets, spending on data takes the lion's share of subscribers' budgets, yet actual amount of data consumed is really, really small. Uh, if we go back to the example of Uganda, uh, predictions that the social media tax would fail to generate the envisaged revenues indeed came true. Uh, at the time, the government filed proposals to introduce the tax. Uh, the Ministry of Finance projected that up to uh, U.S. dollars 131 million would be collected annually by 2022. Uh, however, in 2018, just uh, as the tax was being introduced, uh, those projections were revised downwards to 78 million annually, which is quite a big figure. Uh, in actual sense, a year after the tax was introduced in July 2019, uh, the revenue body reported that it had experienced a shortfall of 83% having collected only 13.5 million uh, in revenue from the OTT tax. Uh, in the second year, the figure went up by only slightly to still a paltry 16.3 million. So uh, Uganda's OTT tax as of last week was replaced with an internet data levy. Uh, it remains to be seen what revenue will arise from the direct 12% levy on net price of internet data and value-added tax of 18%. Uh, my last lesson is one of hope. Um, so according to the GSMA Mobile Economy Report of 2020, uh, high taxation is a big burden to African ICT users and one of the biggest impediments to uptake of digital technologies. Uh, GSMA reports that uh, markets in sub-Saharan Africa are subject to some of the highest overall mobile tax burdens with the industry paying an average of 10% of revenue as sector-specific taxes compared to just 4% in Europe, as you can see uh, with the chart on the left. Uh, therefore, reducing or eliminating sector-specific taxation is critical to encourage investment in mobile connectivity, 
improvement in affordability and increased uptake. Uh, as an example, GSMA points to CHAD. Uh, CHAD has one of the lowest uh, technology penetration rates. Uh, internet penetration is less than 20% per latest figures and mobile penetration under 50%. Uh, Chad is also very notorious for instituting internet shutdowns, restricting citizens' access to the internet uh, and related rights. However, uh, in January 2020, Chad eliminated the 18% excise duty on mobile internet to facilitate increased access and usage of data to its citizens. I will conclude this segment with insights from Dr. Christoph Stock of Research ICT Solutions on good taxation practices that those that intend to levy taxes can draw from? Um, I, I'm trying to dig in a little bit deeper um, onto what uh, Professor Adri alluded to and uh, try to uh, also present an alternative solution to the tax problem that African countries face. So the first thing that we need to recognize is that we need three different platforms for economic development and for digital migration, for job growth, GP growth, for e-services, if only 8% of our citizens are on the internet, then obviously we can only uh, reach 8% with e-services. So in order to provide e-government, e-health and other e-services, we need to have a wide and broad connectivity. These three platforms that we need are the ID platform, the connectivity platform and the payment platform and ICT-specific um, taxes like excess duties are hurting all of these platforms. There is uh, mobile broadband platforms. Oh, sorry, I wasn't meant to go through the yet. Mobile broadband platforms, uh, narrowband, voice, SMS, USSD, are all being impacted by um, excess duties or duties on IP calls or other forms of taxes. Mobile money is being taxed in, in Africa. And also the mobile number, which can serve as the ID platform, for low-income households or low-income individuals is being infected because the taxes and limit investment into network infrastructure and therefore coverage and therefore also mobile adoption altogether. So taxing these sectors are actually slowing down economic growth and the digital transformation that we so urgently need, in particular now during the um, COVID pandemic. And also important to notice is that um, the taxes are impacting the poor more than they impact the rich. So, for example, there's few taxes on fixed broadband because there's also low penetration, but there's a lot of taxes on voice, SMSs, and, and uh, user schemes. And the same, there's no taxes on credit cards and bank accounts, but on mobile money. So in each instance, it's the, the pro-poor mechanisms of the platform that are being taxed. I expanded the, the um, data that uh, Professor H just showed, an ITU study of 2020 showed that the impact is even higher, nearly 2.5% for Africa. And that has a couple of reasons. And this is that uh, Africa is still on the lower end of the productivity um, growth and therefore can also benefit more from digital transformation and from higher broadband adoption. So this was a model done for the world and for Africa, and one can see that the impact of 10% extra broadband penetration for Africa is actually higher than generally for the world. To express this in, in figures, so for the sub-Saharan Africa alone, it would be uh, 43 trillion US dollars in additional GDP and uh, four, 8 trillion extra in, um, in taxes. 
if the whole of sub-Saharan Africa would have attended this broadband penetration. But uh, apart from this effect, I want to highlight another effect. And um, we can see here the text to GDP ratio, Angola 9.2%, um, Uganda 116 Zambia 15.2%, and Ethiopia only 76 So if we would increase the text to GDP ratio by 1%, we would even have double the tax impact of 10% additional broadband penetration. So the key challenge that African countries are facing is how can we get enough money to provide centralized services without slowing down the economy. And taxing one sector more than other sectors is slowing down the growth and doesn't solve the problem. By just increasing tax compliance across the entire economy, across all sectors, would have a much bigger impact. Just a 1% increase would be like leading them to 17.5 trillion instead of 8 trillion US dollars in additional taxes for sub-Saharan Africa. And, and that figure we need, uh, or I will illustrate on a, on, a, on a case in a moment. So what we have in Africa is an affordability gap. These are figures from 2019. They are a little bit outdated by now. But in 2018, only 33% of population had coverage, but 76% had 2G coverage. Yet only 25% were using the internet in Africa in 2019. But uh, with 2G, one can still use the internet based on edge. So the potential would have been 76%. And the difference between the 25 and 26% are due to the affordability gap. This is for data usage. This is for the affordability of the handset, uh, handset and can also be the uh, ability to, to use handsets. So skills may be part of it. At the same time, we have a coverage gap or multiple coverage gaps. There's a 4G gap, a 3G gap, and a 2G gap. And ideally, we would all be close to 95% or even 100% if possible. So these two gaps need to be closed. And taxing the ICT sector will mean they, they won't. They will either make services too expensive for people to use, the affordability gap, or they will make it less attractive to invest, and therefore uh, exaggerating the um, coverage gaps. And here we see the um, a comparison across Africa for Q1 2021. For one gigabyte per month prepaid, cheapest product in, in the country, S percent of GNI per capita per month. And we can see that a whole bunch of countries are above the 2% affordability target of the UN Broadband Commission. Broadband shouldn't be costing more than 2% of GNI per capita per month. And uh, this is just for 1GB, but 1GB is hardly enough, and the Broadband Commission currently discusses on increasing this to 2GB. Well, I think the target should actually be at 20GB, because this is a realistic um, scenario for someone that is digitally connected and uh, consumes various digital services in a month. Then uh, looking at the tax problem overall, we find there is um, certain types of taxes. And all of these taxes are to do, or mostly are to do, with generating income for the state. There's a corporate income tax, VAT, pay-as-you-earn tax. And uh, the VAT and the pay-as-you-earn tax is paid by the end user, while the corporate income tax is then for the ICT sector paid by MNOs, mobile network operators and ISPs. And uh, they're all collected through MNOs, all of these taxes, including the end-user taxes. And um, this has a very simple reason. Mobile operators are well-organized. They have digital billing systems. 
and it's very easy to collect the money through mobile operators. Even into um, the informal sector, mobile money agents that may be selling airtime and doing mobile money services that may be operating in the informal sector can still be taxed through MNOs via uh, the swallowing taxes. And, uh, but the purposes of other taxes, like the excise duty, is typically to discourage harmful consumption. And they are normally applied to gambling, alcohol, tobacco, maybe even sugar, but anything that wants to have the end users or the citizens to use less. But in Africa, they are often being used to actually generate income additionally for the state. They're seen as a luxury product instead of a necessary means. And for OTT taxes, they are pretend often to then tax OTT providers, but they actually, in effect, tax the end user and just disincentivize further broadband use. There is um, other costs for mobile operators and ISPs, like spectrum fees, regulatory fees, and universal service fund levies. And they often also are then misused for income generation rather than for regulatory purposes. For a spectrum, I would want to prevent spectrum hoarding and safeguarding that the spectrum is put to the best use and not raise money for the state through ones of license fees, for example. The one on the SMS also shows that if there's alternatives in the market, then the tax may not only start by, from a lower base afterwards, but it may also never really recover. In this case, OTTs have taken over then the place of SMSs after the tax was introduced. Thank you for listening to Nyamshana's podcast. If you manage to listen to the end, I would like to make an assumption that you enjoyed this episode. And if you would like to support this podcast, you can send mobile money to 0759-592-850. Your support will go towards production costs. And until next time, bye-bye.